Cardinals Game 1 recap, Pro Football Focus's terrible quarterback rankings, and the match. The Valley Sports Talk begins right now. What's good, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the LaValle Sports Talk Podcast, brought to you by the Silent Network. As always, I am your host, Chris LaValle. Hope you all are doing well and staying safe. Let's kick off the pod. We're going to break down game one of the NBA Finals, in which the Suns took down the Bucks relatively easily, 118-105. to Game wasn't really close, and I don't think the series is going to be close. To be quite honest, I think the Suns are going to take it. They could potentially sweep the series, but I'll give the Bucks one game. I think this goes five and it's it's really not going to be a close series. I, I think the Suns are going to take game two. Bucks might take game three. Uh, but it's it, this isn't a compelling series. Giannis is injured. The Bucks are clearly the weaker team, even at full strength. The Bucks are, are a weaker team than the Suns. The Suns just have so much more firepower on offense between, obviously, Booker and Paul, and then DeAndre Ayton has really found his own. Bridges is, is a decent player in his own right their only weak spot is, is Crowder who scored only one point and shot O of uh, O of eight from the field but outside of that I, there's just too much for the Suns and the Bucks have Giannis Middleton and on occasion Holiday when he decides he wants to play well but outside of that they really don't have enough scoring to to match the Suns I just Look, so I'm going to break this down in two ways. One, I find this this finals to be one of the least compelling finals in a long, long time. Uh, this, I think the last time I was this bored with a finals matchup was probably the the Mavericks and the Heat the first time around, back when Dwayne Wade and, and Shaq were on the Heat. So this was over a decade ago. But uh, that was Dwayne Wade's first title. I found that finals matchup to be pretty boring and lackluster, and, and this one's the same. I mean, nobody nobody picked the Suns to make it to the finals. There were some people who believed that the Bucks could potentially make the finals out of the East, but really, I I just I don't find this this matchup compelling in, in any way, shape, or form. The only thing that that's really worth paying attention to is if Chris Paul can finally win his first NBA championship, which he's well on his way doing, and he was terrific in Game One. He was 12 of 19 from the field, scoring 32 points. He had nine assists and four rebounds. He was helped out by DeAndre Ayton, who has really come into his own, uh, not just this season, but specifically during the playoffs. He had 22 points, 19 rebounds, a steal, and uh, where's his assist numbers? I totally lost his assist. Oh, he didn't have an assist, so there you go. Uh, and then Booker, again, was great, 27 points. He also had six assists and two rebounds. But again, the story is Chris Paul and Chris Paul finally breaking through, becoming the actually deserving the title of point God, which people gave him that title years and years ago, which was kind of annoying because he he hadn't done anything. It was back when everyone would call LeBron James King James when he had he didn't have any any rings to his name, calling Chris Paul a point God when he hadn't even reached a uh, he hadn't even won a conference championship. was a little ridiculous, but he's finally he's finally going to break through. He's going to win his first NBA championship, and it's going to completely change his legacy and change the way that people look at him and, and the way people talk about him. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have a lot to say about the finals. Like I said, I'm not really compelled by the series whatsoever. It's worth paying attention to just because of the, the legacy of Chris Paul and what it's going to mean for Paul's legacy when it's all said and done. But outside of that, 
like I said, this this matchup is going to go potentially four, probably five, and then we're just all going to move on and look forward to next season. Pro Football Focus has released their 2021 NFL quarterback rankings, and it's a shit show. I don't know where the hell they get their where they get their metrics, who is the one who's sitting down and evaluating the talent, looking at the stats from from last year or even previous years to determine how they should rank quarterbacks for this this coming year. But it's not good. And look, the Pro Football Focus has has had years of terrible quarterback rankings. This one might be the worst. And the fact that people take Pro Football Focus seriously, like I, I hear podcasters and I hear commentators, sports commentators, use Pro Football Focus as a, as a point of reference. And I don't know why, because nine times out of 10, they're wrong all the time. And this list is just terrible. So I'm going to give you, I'm just going to list off the top 10. As I'm, during my rant, I'm going to be talking about where they've, they've placed other, other random quarterbacks to kind of make my point. Uh, so you will hear where other quarterbacks are ranked. I don't want to go through their entire list because A, I think that would be boring, and B, I'm going to give you my own quarterback ranking tier list uh, in a few weeks as we get closer to the NFL season so you'll get a better idea of where I think everybody should be ranked. Um, so anyway, here we go. So I'm just going to give you the top 10. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying the top six, they actually get right, in my opinion. After that, it's just a shit show, complete and utter shit show. So here we go. In order, they have Mahomes, Brady, Rodgers, Wilson, Watson, and Josh Allen to lean out the top six. Now, you could argue Allen ahead of Watson just because you know Watson's not going to play this season or very likely not going to play this season. Um, but for me, I actually like Watson ahead of Allen just because body of work, the fact that Watson has been consistently great, Allen has progressed as a quarterback no question from his rookie year to his second year his third year he's continued to climb the ladder and I'm a huge fan of Josh Allen I think he is a top tier quarterback in this league but I would like to see him repeat it one more year before I put him in in the top five category so I don't have a problem with the way that they've they've outlined it so far I think Mahomes is obviously the best quarterback in the league right now Brady they do just won a Super Bowl you have to put him at two he also beat Mahomes but he's not better. I wouldn't, if I was drafting a team, I would take Mahomes over Brady, just age alone. I guess you could argue Rodgers, Brady, if you wanted to. I still think Brady's ahead of Rodgers right now. Russell Wilson, no question about it, is a top five quarterback. And like I said, Watson's good. Allen's fine. Okay, so here we go. At seven, they have Dak Prescott. How, never mind, never mind. Let me finish before I just go into this. Uh, Lamar Jackson's at eight. Matt Ryan is at nine. And at 10, they have Baker Mayfield. Let's start with that. How the hell do you have Baker Mayfield in the top 10? So Pro Football Focus is saying that Mayfield is a better option at quarterback than Matthew Stafford, who they have at 11, Justin Herbert, who they have at 15, and Kyler Murray, who they have at 17. They have Kyler Murray seven spots lower than Baker Mayfield. Are they on drugs? Mayfield had a decent year last year. He had one good, he's had one really, really good season for his entire career. He's had one really good season, and that was last season. Now, if you look at the the other three quarterbacks that I just named, Stafford, Murray, and Herbert, all three of them performed better last year with less talent around them than what Mayfield has. 
If you look at the stats, Herbert had a better completion percentage, threw for more yards, and had more touchdown passes and accumulated these stats by starting one less game than Mayfield last season. Oh, and by the way, he's also a freaking rookie. Herbert had one of the greatest, if not the greatest, rookie seasons we have ever seen in the NFL. One of the greatest ever, up there with Andrew Luck and Cam Newton. Matthew Stafford had a better completion percentage, better yards per attempt, and threw for the same amount of touchdown passes as Baker Mayfield. Need I remind you, he was on the Detroit Lions last year. The Lions. You, you know the Lions, one of the worst franchises in, in NFL history, also one of the worst franchises in the NFL over the last decade. Kyler Murray had a better completion percentage, threw for more yards, threw for more touchdowns, and had a better yards per attempt than Baker Mayfield. How the hell do you have Kyler Murray seven spots below Baker Mayfield? How do you have Baker Mayfield a spot ahead of Matthew Stafford? And how do you have Justin Herbert five spots below Baker Mayfield? That does not make, it just doesn't make sense. What football are you watching? This isn't fantasy football. I'm not telling you who's going to put up more fantasy stats. I'm, I'm looking at this as if you're drafting a team, if you're drafting a team, so we go down the list. Your first quarterback you want to take is Patrick Mahomes. Totally get it. Then you want to take Brady, Rodgers, Wilson, Watson, Josh Allen. Those six, totally understand it. I'm going to touch on Prescott in a second. Lamar Jackson, look, I don't think Lamar Jackson is a top 10 quarterback, but I will deal with Lamar Jackson at eight just on his talent alone. Just if we're just going based off of just straight up raw talent, I can, you can make the argument to me that Lamar Jackson belongs somewhere in the top 10, and I'll, I'll swallow that. Matt Ryan, you already know how I feel about Matt Ryan. I've said it a thousand times on this podcast, Matt Ryan's top 10 quarterback. No question about it. Baker Mayfield before Matthew Stafford, before Kyler Murray, and before Justin Herbert? Are you out of your mind? Just based off of last season, that makes no sense. If you're the GM and you do that, you should be fired immediately. Because you don't know, like, I don't want to say you don't know football, but I don't know what you watched last season to make you feel comfortable enough to take Baker Mayfield over Herbert, Murray, and Stafford. It just doesn't make sense. There's other quarterbacks, mind you, too, that are on this on the list, which I will touch on later, that are, in my opinion, are better than Baker Mayfield. And this isn't, I'm not hating on Mayfield, but Mayfield's like a top 14, 15 quarterback. He's top of the like he's top half of the league, but he's not a he's not a a top ten quarterback in any metric in any measure. And if we go beyond beyond just last season, so I got to take Herbert out of the conversation obviously because he was a rookie last year. If we just look at Stafford and we look at Murray, long term we, we'll take the past two seasons. Mayfield has had one singular really good year, and this was this past season. His other two years. We're not great. They were talking, like, leading into, for those who have, for whatever reason, may have forgotten, coming into last season, people were talking about, are the Browns going to cut Mayfield? Are they going to look for a new quarterback in the draft, in this past year's draft? Because what Mayfield has shown them hasn't been that great. Are they going to pick up his fifth-year option? Or are they just going to let him go? So, again, he's had one decent year. It wasn't spectacular. It wasn't, like, the... It was good enough to keep his job, but he has to perform that way again this season 
There's no guarantee that's going to happen because he hasn't been consistent. And again, this isn't a pile on Baker Mayfield podcast here. Like I'm not, I'm not making the segment piling on Baker Mayfield. I just, I don't for the life of me understand what the hell pro football focus is using as their metrics to determine that Mayfield is a better quarterback than those other three. Then that brings me to, to Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott in no way, shape, or form is a top seven quarterback. Like there is no way in hell that you can justify putting Dak Prescott at seven. Yes, please all remember, I have been a Dak Prescott defender on this podcast many of times. So again, and, and I always have to preface this because people come out of the woodwork and they're like, oh, well, you're, you're a Prescott hater or you're a this hater or you're a that hater. I'm not a hater. I'm really not. It drives Richo nuts. If you listen to the Richo and Lala podcast, he gets on me all the time because he's like, you love every freaking quarterback. You're obnoxious about it. Like you just love all the quarterbacks and you, and I do, I genuinely do favor a lot of the quarterbacks in the league. I am a Colts fan first and foremost, but like a lot of people, or at least a lot of people in, in, in my generation and even the younger generations, we seem to have evolved as sports fans where we kind of just flock to talent. Like in the NBA, most people aren't really die-in-the-wool franchise fans anymore. They kind of just they go towards the, the superstars. Like you're a Steph Curry fan in my, in my case, or you're a LeBron James fan, or you're a Chris Paul fan, or a, 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 shit, I totally lost everybody else that's good. Durant, Ky, you know, Kyrie Irving, if you're into liking somebody who mopes and doesn't actually play basketball all the time. But you get what I'm saying. Like, you kind of just lean towards superstars. I do that with quarterbacks. I have, like, my list of, like, my top five favorite quarterbacks. And then I have, like, my other list of, like, the next five that I, I root for. And, and that's just how I am. So I do root for Dak Prescott. I like Dak Prescott. There is nothing, nothing that you could ever do to convince me, though, that I would take Dak Prescott over Matthew Stafford, I wouldn't even take Dak Prescott, to be honest, over Justin Herbert. You could make the argument to me to take him over Kyler Murray, and I would hear that argument. But over Herbert and over Stafford, hell no. Because on top of everything else, he just had a massive injury. A massive injury that he's coming off of. And there was nothing that he showed the season prior, not even this last season, but the season before that. That would put Dak Prescott as a top seven quarterback. He's not even in the top 10. I would not put Dak Prescott in the top 10. At least I don't think I would. Again, I haven't done my quarterback tiers yet. But I, again, seven? You're going to put him better than... He's not better than Matt Ryan. He's not better than Matthew Stafford. Like, it, it's just... It's not... Th this is nonsensical right now. Like, th this ranking is so bad. Kyler, like I said, the Justin Herbert thing, hell no, he's not better than Justin Herbert. There's, you, As far as I'm concerned, Justin Herbert might be the best quarterback talent we've seen since Andrew Luck. Completely under the radar. Absolutely under the radar. But Herbert could be the next big quarterback in this league. He's not, and he's not one slot, like, behind Josh Allen. That's the other thing, too, is, like, when you're looking at the list and you go from Allen, and then you go right to Prescott, Hell no, there is a much bigger gap talent-wise between Josh Allen and Dak Prescott. Like a massive, massive gap in talent. Dak Prescott is a great leader. He's a good teammate. And he's a good quarterback. 
Like, I'm not saying he's not somebody that you may want to take in fantasy. He's not somebody that you wouldn't want as a franchise quarterback because I, I do think he is a franchise quarterback. But he's not top seven. He's not, and I really don't think he's top 10. He's on that like 11 to 12 cusp there. Like if I was doing my, my QB rankings, he's like at the top of tier two. He is not a tier one quarterback. He's not even close. And are you honestly, honestly going to tell me, Cowboys fans out there, and, and, and the, the sideline network's Dan Coleman is, is a diehard Cowboys fan. So th- this, is, this question would be directed to him, but all Cowboys fans out there who listen to this podcast. Are you going to tell me that if you had a shot at getting Stafford, Murray, or Herbert, you wouldn't want them over Dak Prescott? Take Kyler Murray out of it. Just Stafford or Herbert. You're telling me that you wouldn't jump at the chance to get one of those two over Dak Prescott? Mind you, Cowboys fans were talking, were like licking their chops at the, at the chance of seeing Matthew Stafford in in Dallas last season like at the end of the season when the contract negotiation thing between Prescott and and Jerry Jones was you know kind of kind of up in the air people were hoping trust me I read it all over all over social media Cowboys fans were hoping that Matthew Stafford was going to go there so if that's the case I don't want to hear people now being like oh look we've got a top seven quarterback look at how great Dak Prescott is Prescott's not a top seven quarterback and you would be lying to everybody if you said that you would not take Matthew Stafford or Justin Herbert over Dak Prescott. You can make the argument, and I would say you would take Matt Ryan too. If you're being honest with yourself, you would want Matt Ryan. But with Matt Ryan's age, I can understand the fact that you may not want to do that. And you could even make the argument that you would rather have Kyler Murray. Again, I'm not saying Prescott's not good. He ain't top seven good. And now this brings me to my own personal personal argument here they put Carson Wentz at 23 in what world what objective world is Carson Wentz the 23rd best quarterback in the league like serious I'm, I'm dead serious about this in what world would you sit there and draft 22 other quarterbacks before Carson Wentz because whatever world that's in is a fairy tale like it's not even like it's not remotely accurate there is no way that you would honestly take 22 other quarterbacks than Carson Wentz. 15, maybe. Four, excuse me, 14, maybe. Because for me, 15th, putting him at 15 would be the biggest stretch possible, but I could see that. He's got injury history, and I get that. But if we're just going on pure talent, talent alone, raw talent, Carson Wentz is now worse than 15th in the league. There is no question in my mind. Daniel Jones, are you freaking kidding? You're going to put Daniel Jones three spots ahead of Carson Wentz based off of what? Like, what the fuck are you watching? I like Daniel Jones. I think the Giants should keep Daniel Jones. I think Daniel Jones has had a rough go. But, but you can't say Daniel Jones has had a rough go, which I just did, and not say that Carson Wentz has not also had a rough go in Philly over the last few seasons. You see see how that works? I can objectively sit there and go, look, I think Daniel Jones is going to be good. I think he's had a rough couple seasons. He had to deal with the loss of Saquon Barkley last season. He didn't have anybody to throw to for the most part. His numbers sucked. 
Carson Wentz hasn't had anybody to throw to over the last two or three seasons because everybody around him drops like flies. He's also had one of the worst offensive lines in football. Those are all facts that nobody ever wants to use because everybody likes to pile on and shit on Carson Wentz. But you're really, honestly, you're going to put, I have my list here, excuse me, just hold on one second, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Kirk Cousins, and Daniel Jones, just to name a few, all ahead of Carson Wentz? Fitzpatrick. Really? Really? The guy who can maybe give you five games? Possibly six that are really good? Fitzpatrick, love the guy, respect him. Journeyman quarterback, think he's hilarious. Beard dude, awesome. He gives you, what, two, maybe three, like, spectacular throws a season. That's, like, the, the top play on Sports Center. Just pulls something out of his ass. He does it every year. That's why they call him Fitzmagic. I get that. He is not better than Carson Wentz. Not even, like, it's not even a debate. Baker Mayfield is not better than Carson Wentz. Like you want not to keep piling on Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield is not better than Carson Wentz. I'm sorry. He's not. Herbert, yes. I think Herbert is better than Carson Wentz. Stafford, yes. Matt Ryan, yes. Baker Mayfield, uh uh-uh. Kirk Cousins, not even close. Fitzpatrick, nope. Daniel Jones, hell no. Like this is the biggest slap in the face to Wentz. Need I remind you, Carson Wentz is two seasons removed from dragging a bum-ass Eagles team to the playoffs, filled with parking attendants and janitors. His number one wide receiver was on the fucking practice squad and was a third or second-string quarterback in college. His number one wide receiver was a quarterback in college and he wasn't even the freaking starter. And he dragged that team, won four straight games, and brought them to the playoffs. And then got concussed in that game by one of the dirtiest hits we've ever seen by Jadavion Clowney. But yeah, he can't stay healthy. Screw you. Like seriously, if that's still your argument, screw you. Because it's not accurate. Yes, has he had health concerns? Absolutely. But if you go back and you look at why he had health concerns, it's because his fucking coach kept putting him in rather than allowing him to rest. His coach rushed him back the year after they won the Super Bowl, rushed him back, pushed him into game one when there were analysts out there saying they should not be rushing Carson Wentz back. They should allow, give him a little bit more time to rest. He doesn't need to start game one. Have him start game three, game four, game five. Give him a few more weeks. They rush him back. What happens? He fucks up his back because his leg wasn't fully healthy. So then he's out for the remainder of that season. And then he comes back the following year, drags that team to the the playoffs. And then, yes, last season, did he have a rough year? Absolutely. No question about it. Carson Wentz did not play well last year. Was Carson Wentz the only issue in Philly? No, and I think we've all been able to realize that. Even diehard Philly Eagles fans have finally been able to sit back and go, yeah, you know, it wasn't all Carson Wentz. Doug Peterson's pretty shitty as a head coach. We didn't really have much of an offensive line. We have no weapons to throw to. Our wide receivers can't stay healthy. And Carson Wentz, unfortunately, aside from Zach Ertz, really didn't have a whole hell of a lot going for him in Philly. So, look, I'm not going to belabor this. I, I just, I, I don't understand 
I, I don't understand what the hell Pro Football Focus does when they evaluate quarterbacks because it just it makes absolutely no sense. So anyway, I'm going to release my list. Like I said, I'll, I'll do my list in a, in a few weeks, probably mid to late August uh, before the NFL season is usually when I try to do it a few weeks before. I'll give you my quarterback rankings. But again, I, I, by all means, check out the check out Pro Football Focus's rankings and, and come back and let me know what you think because I really do think that they suck at this. They, they get it wrong every year. Um, and I, I think they're going to get it dead wrong once again this year. I love Valley CH on Twitter. Let me know what you think. As always, I'd love to hear from you. So this Rachel Nichols, Maria Taylor thing at ESPN is very interesting. So I have this and everything is stupid, mostly because of the Maria Taylor aspect of it, like the contract demands that she has for herself, which are insane. But the whole story in and of itself has just become absolutely fascinating. So I'm going to touch on the Maria Taylor aspect first, the contract and all that crap. And then I want to do a deep dive into this like whole drama-filled story thing because I, I really do find it very interesting. So last year, so Maria Taylor's contract is up, I believe, by the end of next next week. I think July 15th, her contract expires. So she's been in contract negotiations with ESPN for over a year. And it's been reported that last year, during the contract negotiations, she wanted $8 million. She demanded $8 million. And ESPN said, there's absolutely no way we're giving you $8 million. That, that would be the most money at the network. She would be the highest paid talent at the network. More money than Stephen A. Smith, which is absurd. When you think of ESPN, the first face that pops in your head, if you're not an OG person like I am when it comes to ESPN, I think of Scott Van Pelt. But anybody else who, who's younger, you think of Stephen A. Smith, right? Or maybe Mike Wilbaugh and Tony Kornheiser. Like, that's that's pretty much what you think about when you think of ESPN. You don't think of Maria Taylor. I'm sorry. You just don't. She's not the top of the list. So anyway, she wanted $8 million. ESPN countered with five. She said, no, I want eight. Like, she's demanding eight. Now, mind you, this is the same network that has been laying people off left and right, cutting talent left and right. Like, think about all the talent that's left. Dan Lebetard, Skip Bayless. Colin Cowherd, Will Kane, just to name a few of people, big name people that have left the network over the years. Maybe it's because of contracts, maybe it's because of other things, but they've also had some of their stars take reductions in salary. Mike Greenberg's salary got, got reduced. Stephen A. Smith actually took a reduction in salary, all to try and help keep other people, other people's jobs, because the network has been bleeding for a while. The, the, the ratings suck. So you have all of this going around, and Maria Taylor's got the gall to say, well, I deserve $8 million a year, while all of her coworkers and all these other people are sitting around trying to find new ways to help keep other people still employed. Maria Taylor thinks that she's above it all, and, well, I deserve to be the highest paid person. So ESPN said, no, we'll give you $5 million. That's been the standstill. So then this is where the Rachel Nichols aspect falls into play. So last week, New York, uh, New York Times article had released audio of Rachel Nichols making comments about Maria Taylor. And in my opinion, they really weren't disparaging comments. It, Rachel Nichols was pissed off last year because she got bumped from her NBA finals pregame and postgame duties as like the studio host to Maria Taylor. And she was pissed off about it. And she was calling out the network being like, look, you know, you, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm now taking the brunt 
of the fact that you guys have had diversity issues in the past and you've had gender issues in the past and I've worked my ass off and I've worked my way up to get to where I am and now you guys are bumping me for this young buck? Like, it's bullshit, essentially, is what she said. I'm not qu- quoting anything. I'm just paraphrasing. Now, I just want to break down that comment real quick. ESPN does not have diversity issues and they sure as shit don't have gender issues and they haven't had that for a long, long time. Okay, if you look over the last like decade plus of the diverse, if you want to talk about diversity, think about all the non-white talent that they've had at ESPN that have done quite well for themselves. You have Sage Steele, Stephen A. Smith, Michael Wilbon, Lewis Riddick, Mike Tirico when he was there, uh, Jalen Rose, just to name a few. Stephen A. Smith, obviously, I think. Did, did I name Stephen A. Smith? If I didn't, I should have. He should have been actually the first name on that list. Like, just name a few. So Jamel Hill, when she was there. Michael Smith, they got to host their own sports center. That was a colossal failure. But to make it sound as though ESPN has not like tried to win the woke Olympics would be just disingenuous at best. I, it, it's not true, right? I mean, let's be real. They have ESPN has done everything they could that that they can to like be the leader in diversity and inclusion at that network for years now. So Rachel Nichols' comments, while I I can appreciate her being pissed off, but they also aren't hundred percent accurate. Anyway, so that got leaked, and and these people coming out of the woodwork acting as if Maria Taylor's reps didn't leak that is a joke. She's using this for leverage. Her people are using this for leverage to try and leverage ESPN to say, look, you guys are clearly a racist company. Look, you got this white girl saying this stuff about a black talent. Now, they are. They're trying to leverage them, and they're trying to squeeze them into paying her the $8 million salary that she, that she believes she deserves. So now Rachel Nichols got her show got cut. The jump got cut the other day, and I don't know if it's going to remain off the air for the remainder of the NBA, uh, the NBA finals, or if it's going to get brought back, that has yet, uh, not yet to be determined. I'm again, I'm recording this on Wednesday. So things could change between now and, and Friday when this is released, but she has been taken off of her sideline duties for the NBA finals. She also came out with an apology, which is the stupidest thing you can possibly do. As soon as you apologize, they're going to eat you alive. And that's what they're doing now. Rachel Nichols put out the stupid ass apology the other day. It looks like a hostage video. And it's just, it's honestly, it's pathetic. Like it, it, she, if she wants to apologize to the network because her bosses were like, look, you have to apologize because you embarrassed us by saying that we're not inclusive and we don't, we're not looking or, or we're not gender inclusive or racial inclusive enough. That's not true. You better apologize for that. I get that. That's her boss. And they're telling her you need to do this public, public PR nightmare for us. I understand that. She does not need to, to apologize to Maria Taylor. She said nothing wrong. She wasn't, like, for all the people out there who are claiming Rachel Nichols is a racist, have you not been listening to her over the last few years? I am not a Rachel Nichols fan. I I made this comment a few weeks ago on this podcast where, like, her, the fact that I think that she's up LeBron James' jockstrap 24-7, I, I can't stand her, honestly. But to pretend that she's a racist, she's, like, she's one of the leaders of, like, the new woke movement at that network. Have you ever watched The Jump? Have you ever listened to her monologues? She's obnoxiously woke. So to pretend that she's now a racist is just, it, it's, it's honestly, it's, it's disgusting. And at the same time, 
I'm I, me personally, I'm kind of enjoying this just a little bit because I've said this before and I'll say it again. You cannot make these people happy. These these radically insane individuals out there, these social media nutcases and, and also the regular media nutcases, the blue check mark people out there who believe in this this new just radical uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, new age awakening of, of all this. We, we have to be, we, anybody who doesn't agree with their doctrine, let's say, is automatically you're either racist or you're sexist. We've talked about this actually on this network over the past few weeks. We've had really in-depth conversations about it and it's true. So anyway, I'm kind of enjoying the fact that they're eating Rachel Nichols alive just in the fact that she's been one of those people that has been absolutely obnoxious both on the air and on social media and has had no problem when it's been other people who have been getting eaten alive by these psychopaths. So now she's the one who's getting eaten alive. And so I am kind of enjoying it just a tad bit because, like I said, you can never make these people happy. And as soon as you give in to them, they're going to eat you alive too. And that's what they're doing to Rachel Nichols. So Nichols, I think, is actually screwed in this whole situation. I wouldn't be surprised if she's she, – she may not be fired because I don't know if that would be a good look for ESPN – but you can definitely see that her role in the future at that network is going to be reduced to the point where she may be looking for a new job sooner rather than later. Meanwhile, Maria Taylor is using this as using her head as a stepping stone to try and get further up into the company. So I don't know what's going to happen. I, I still like if you honestly tried to justify Maria Taylor making eight million dollars a year, you're a you're a clown. She's not that talented. She's talented at what she does, but she is not. Like, look, this woman's not Oprah, okay? Like, she's not that good. So for people out there who are like, no, she absolutely deserves her money. She does not deserve to make more money than Stephen A. Smith. She does not deserve to make more money. She doesn't even deserve to make more money than Rachel Nichols. Rachel Nichols has been there for years. She has, she has a brand at that network. Maria Taylor does not have a brand at that network. She's young. She's talented. She ain't, but she's not, that, again, she's not that good. She's not better than Michael Wilbon. She's not better than Mike Greenberg. She's not better than Scott Van Pelt. Like, I understand, oh my God, he just named all, all men. Shut up. I, it, this isn't a gender thing. This is just people at that network who have established brands and established names. When you think of ESPN, like I said earlier on in the segment, you don't think of Maria Taylor. She's not the first person to pop up in your head. It's, she's just not. So for her to command an obscene amount of money to get paid as, as the highest paid talent at that network is just obscene. It's absolutely obscene. So we'll see what happens moving forward. But uh, I honestly, I do, like while I am enjoying it a little bit, I do feel bad for Rachel Nichols because I, I do think that, that she screwed, like in this whole thing, she had a leaked audio that, again, the fact that her audio was leaked though, who the hell leaked that? It sounded like she was just having a, a personal conversation with somebody. And it, it's scary when you really think about it. Unless she was dumb enough to say it like in a studio somewhere or maybe like on a podcast or a radio hit or something. And somehow that audio got out, even though that audio is from last year. So I don't I don't think it was a, a radio show or a podcast even. But she, if she was stupid enough to say it somewhere where there was like a microphone in, in the room, then that's on her. But if she's just sitting down having dinner with somebody or just in the car having a phone call or in a phone call or just in a car having a conversation with somebody and that person's recording her, that's fucked up. 
I mean, it's also scary that you can't trust anybody anymore either. But yeah, I, I, I do. I, I feel bad for Rachel Nichols. I think she's going to get dragged through the coals and, and I don't know what her future is going to be at ESPN anymore, but God, this whole thing is just insane. But Maria Taylor, and I'll say, I'm just going to end on this. Sorry, sweetheart. You do not deserve $8 million a year. You ain't that good. 5 million is insane for you, but I, I, I you can stomach the five. She does not deserve to be higher paid than Stephen A. Smith. It's just, that is just outlandish. Absolutely outlandish. And the other thing too, real quick, ESPN is, is, is they're negotiating with themselves. They're negotiating with themselves. Who the hell out there is going to pay her $8 million? Fox Sports ain't going to pay her $8 million. NBC Sports isn't going to pay her $8 million. Even if she decides she want to go do GMA or go, Go to another network. Go to HBO and do HBO Sports or something. She ain't going to get $8 million out there either. Like ESPN, I understand ESPN's been bleeding talent for a while, but you cannot be that desperate to out overpay somebody like that. It's just, that's just insanity. It's absolute insanity. And this is why ESPN's going broke and, and why nobody watches this network anymore. It's just, it's just insane. <laughs> So on Tuesday night, we had the fourth iteration of the match, which is the uh, the new golf charity event that's really become Phil Mickelson's charity event. He's been the, the mainstay on this thing. And uh, we saw he and, and Tom Brady, w- who have become like the, the new dynamic duo, and they faced off this time against Bryson DeChambeau and Aaron Rodgers. And I found it to be pretty boring. Uh, look, there's... There's something special about watching it because you get the opportunity to listen to Phil and just listen to Phil talk golf. And listen to Phil talk golf. I could listen to Phil all day. He's just extremely engaging, very entertaining. And listening to him just explain the shot and, and listening to him coach up Tom Brady or even just explain how he's going to hit a specific shot or why he hit it the certain way. To me, as somebody who plays golf not very well, but who plays golf, I just find it very interesting. He even actually was dragging Bryson DeChambeau at one point. The DeChambeau was like lining up a shot and Phil, because Bryson wasn't talking and Phil was like, Hey, explain to me what you see when, before you hit the shot, like what's, what's your thought process? How are you figuring out what you're going to do in order to get this shot to go where you want it? Uh, and he explained it not as well, not as eloquent as Phil, but DeChambeau still did explain himself somewhat anyway. And I think that was the issue is that Bryson and, and Rogers are just, they're just not very fun. Um, and again, I, I, I am a fan of Rogers, but I would never go to Rogers for my commentary on anything. He's not, he's not somebody that, that I find particularly entertaining or even really worth listening to, to be honest with you. I love Rogers on the field. I love his talent, him off the field. Not so much. I just don't, I don't find him particularly engaging. And Bryson DeChambeau, y'all know how I feel about him. I've talked about him so many times on this podcast. And he came across as kind of an arrogant prick. Like he just, there was nothing about him that was likable. Now DeChambeau and Rodgers did beat Brady and, and Mickelson for whatever the hell that's worth. Uh, but overall, I just, I, I wasn't a fan of it. I, I didn't find it particularly compelling. It was, it, for me, it was pretty boring. That's why I turned it off. I've watched all the other ones straight through like I've sat down and I've, I've enjoyed it um it, it, you you lose a lot when you don't have Peyton Manning out there like that, that's one thing I realized and, and obviously again huge Peyton Manning fan 
but he is funny. Peyton's great. He's great at it. And and they really should try and make Peyton a mainstay on there. You can team Peyton up with anybody. I don't care who it is. But Brady and Mickelson, they should stay together because the two of them are fun. They they were the reason they the two of them were the reason why you want to watch is because they are really they're really good together. They're a lot of fun to watch. Stick Peyton out there and just give Peyton somebody else to play with. Each time, have like a rotating, it could be another celebrity or it could be a pro golfer. But Peyton should be the other mainstay because he just is that good. He's that much fun. And it's it's it, the the commentary that he's able to do between not just just by himself, but like him and Barkley have a really good rapport together. He and Brady have a great rapport together, and it just works. It works so much better than than what we had this past this past time. And and I just like I said, I just wasn't a fan of it. So I'll keep watching, obviously, uh, because I do enjoy it. I think it's really cool to have these golfers mic'd up and listen to them and, and crack jokes and and listen, like I said, listening to Phil give his commentary on on what he's thinking and how he's going to hit a specific shot. But uh, I really do think that it, moving forward, they, they really should try and make Peyton the uh, the new mainstay on that uh, on that charity event. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Love Valley Sports Talk podcast brought to you by the Sideline Network. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and listening. I greatly appreciate it. Please be sure to check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, rate, and review. And while you're there, we have plenty of other podcasts for you, including Drinks with Dan, Richo's Rant, Richo and Lala, and Spaceball. That is it. That's all I have for you this week. Be well. Stay safe. Talk to you all again soon. (laughs) 